to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, this morning, um, I have an interesting word for you. Say interesting. And so, uh, like they said, you know, I, I, I pondered and uh, it, this, this one took me a while, but... Um, you know, in, in all honesty, I was reviewing my year. You know, how many of you actually do that? At the end of the year, you do like a, a review and you actually like, you know, how did I do this year or what can I improve? What can I do? And, um, and I realized that, that the year is coming to a close. It's super fast, you know. It's this week and then next week's Christmas and then the next time we see each other will be the new year. It'll be 2017, come on. And so, um, and so you know, I, I want to take us on a... a uh, a time of reviewing, a time of reflection this morning. And uh, the, the, the title of my sermon this morning is A Year in Review. Say A Year in Review. Yeah. You know, I'm inspired by that, that Facebook thing, you know, you, there's like a year in review thing and you get to click it and Facebook tells you how many photos you've taken, how many times you've liked other people's things. Now I realize that I've only liked about 100 times in 2016 and so my likes come very... Uh, my likes are very valuable, but uh, it's something that I, I need to improve on, so I need to like more stuff, okay? I actually like your stuff, you know, but I just need to click. And so, uh, and Uber has it as well. Uber has this, like, year in review thing, and uh, honestly, pretty ashamed of my Uber scores, and yeah. Uber is actually really encouraging, you know? Um, Uber said I joined late, later than most people, you know, I joined in June, but it was like, Uber was like, you, you joined late, but you caught up, Andre. You, you did, you caught up. You, you spend the money. And so, uh, and so yeah, you know, it's very encouraging. And so you can, you can find that whole review thing, that whole summary thing on uh, various platforms that you use. But um, I think it's really important for us to review our lives every now and then, yes? Especially at the end of the year. You know, at the end of year is typically a time of reflection and introspection, you know. And honestly, I was reviewing my own uh, uh, role as, as a preacher, as a teacher, as a pastor in the church, you know, whether I've been effective in my role or whether I've accomplished the things which I set out to do. And um, I came across, um, you know, a, a quote recently and the man was saying this, the man said, movements start because the founder has a deep relationship with God. Movements end when the followers only have a relationship with the founder. You get that? Moses knew God. But the children of Israel were only acquainted with Moses. The Bible says this. The Bible says that, that your children of Israel were acquainted with the acts of God, with the works of God. But Moses was acquainted with the ways of God, with his nature. And I think it's, it's my responsibility as a preacher, as a teacher, to lead you to a place of encounter. You see, the children of Israel were satisfied with staying at the base of the mountain while Moses had these deep visitations with the Lord on the mountain. And they were like, Moses, you know, we are okay staying back. Just go and hear from God and uh, we'll hear from you. They're okay with secondhand information. But how many of you know that you have the same level of access as I have? You have the same level of access as Moses have. You know, when the Bible talks about the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus and the heavens parting, that word part is the same word used to describe the veil being ripped in two. The sky that was ripped is still ripped. We live under that, that perpetual open heaven and you have access to the Father. You have access to deep relationship, to communion with the Lord. And it's a disservice on my behalf to you if if all I do is preach these fancy sermons and do not encourage you and do not point you in the direction of having your own experience encounter with the Lord. It is my conviction that churchgoers should leave the building with more questions than answers. See, questions, they, they are an invitation to connection. And so my dream and my goal for these sermons and these preachings that, we, that we've been doing for the past year is that you would leave the building with context, with content to interact with the Lord. 
This thing, this gathering, this worship experience, hearing the word, it is not a replacement or a supplement for your own relationship with the Lord. You're making sense. Come on, help me preach. We all have access. I think that preaching today has you know, great exegesis. Google. Google is great. Great analogies, slides, points. And, uh, and, but we rarely point people into the direction of having their own personal dialogue and connection with the Lord. Again, I'm of the opinion that people should leave church meetings with less answers and more questions. How many of you know that prayer isn't prayer unless there's dialogue? Prayer is a conversation. We have reduced prayer today to petition. No, God, here are my needs. God, here are the things I want. God, here are the things I need. But prayer, as defined by the Bible, is a conversation. It's not a conversation unless two people talk and two people listen. I'm making sense to you this morning. I believe going to a lot with sudden questions sets a great context for connection. Christine spoke about it uh, uh, last week that, that there is an invitation from God for us to, to commune and, and, and encounter Him. I think on our part, having questions and having things that we go to the Lord with sets an invitation for the Lord to come and commune and, and interact with us. And so this morning, I'm, I'm going to do something a bit different. I'm going to share from three different passages, okay? Three different passages. At the end of each passage, I'm going to leave you with a question. And at the end of the day, of course, with three different passages, we have three questions. And, I, and these three questions are, you know, I'm almost giving you a peek into my personal devotional life. And these three things, you know, if you've been around me long enough, you'll hear me talking about these three things over and over again. And it's, it's honestly the way I've been measuring my, my spiritual walk, if you will, measuring the condition of my heart, you know, with these three questions. And I think reflection is, is such a, a, a crucial and important thing in the life of a believer. Amen? Proverbs says this. Proverbs says that, that just as... Let me find that. Uh, give me a sec. Just as water reflects the face, so does one's life reflects the heart. Just as water reflects the face, so does one's life reflects the condition of your heart. And so crucial for us to take a moment to ponder, to reflect on the state of our life because it directly reflects the condition of our heart. And how many of you know that it is from the heart that flows the issues of life? The heart is the wellspring of life. And we need to be, be faithful and intentional with making sure that our heart is always in the right place. Amen? And we do that through a time of reflection, through a time of 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 seeing where our spiritual walk is, of, of, of measuring it with certain parameters in mind. Does it make sense? We're going to start with uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. And can we have the verses up? 2 Samuel chapter 6. And uh, this is the story of uh, David bring the, the Ark of the Covenant back. And uh, we're going to read it together. It says this, it says, The Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told, King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. Next slide. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And so we can recap. So this is David bringing back the ark of the covenant. He had, he's just acquired it from Bethel and he's bringing that ark which is a symbolic of the presence of God. And he's bringing it back into the city. And as he's carrying it back, you know, with his entourage, David uh, gave the, the charge that every six steps that they took, he would lay down one sacrifice. So picture me, six steps and then one sacrifice, six steps and then another sacrifice. And this was the entire, how the entire journey looked 
right? From bringing the ark from, from uh, outside the walls of the city back into the city. And the ark is symbolic of the presence. And, and it, it's my thought and my conviction that in order to see more of the presence of God in our midst, in order to usher the presence of God uh, in, in a greater measure in our midst, we need to sacrifice. The last time I spoke, I, I talked about Solomon and I said, if compromise is the language of regression, then sacrifice is the language of progression. It's a bit oxymoron. It doesn't make sense because sacrifice, it, 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 it brings about a, a, a negative uh, a view, right? Sacrifice means to, to lose something. Sacrifice means that, oh, you don't have as much as before. But in the kingdom, sacrifice always brings about increase. What you sow, you will definitely reap. What you give, you, you will definitely reap and increase. That's kingdom mechanics. That's kingdom mathematics. What you lay down, you'll get so much more. When Abraham laid Isaac on the altar, he thought he was going to lose a son. He thought he was going to stop being a father. But when he... he he made the decision to sacrifice at the end of the whole ordeal. What happened to Abraham? He became the father of nations. Sons. Not just Isaac. He, he had nations as his inheritance. Nations as his heritage. You get so much more when you sacrifice. Amen? That's the kingdom of God. Sacrifice is... It's a joyful, it's a, it's, it's a pleasurable thing because we, we serve a God who rewards sacrifice. We serve a God who gives us so much more. Amen? When a farmer plants a seed into the ground and he buries it, he doesn't hold a funeral service for it, right? He doesn't go through, oh, acquaintance be for God. No, he knows that when he plants a seed into the ground, he buries it, he covers it with soil. It's going to bear much fruit and much increase, right? The question for us this morning is that when we sacrifice unto God, when we give a bit more, do we have the same expectation of the Lord to bring about increase in our life? Sacrifice is an expression of faith and trust. The measure to which you sacrifice is the measure to which you trust the Lord and His goodness and His willingness to give you so much more. Amen? You know, we, we are all familiar with the story where Jesus enters into the temple grounds and uh, he goes in and he sees all these tables out on the temple courts and uh, there were men selling livestock and there were men who, who were money changers. They were exchanging money. And we're all familiar with that. Jesus became really angry. He took a three-quart thing and made a whip out of it and uh, he flipped the tables and he chased them out of the temple ground. We must know that the temple has always existed primarily for the purpose of sacrifice. When we go through the Bible, we recognize that the house of God has always, its practices, its architecture, how it, how it functioned, always revolved around sacrifice, always revolved around bringing an offering to the Lord. Now, these men who were present in the temple grounds, they, they were present, they set up tables, they set up shop. They were not there primarily to bring an offering to God. Following me. They were there to benefit. They were there to gain. They were there to receive something. They weren't there primarily to offer. They were there primarily to receive, to benefit. I think it's a commentary on the church today. If I were to ask, ask an honest question this morning, how many of you came to this service with an expectation to give over receiving? Do you come primarily to benefit or do you come primarily to offer something to the Lord? These were the men that, that completely outraged Jesus. Jesus was furious. Because they have, they have misunderstood what the temple existed for. They have misunderstood the function of the house of God. The church exists for the purpose of sacrifice, for the purpose of offering worth to God. 
your needs, like it or not, come secondary in that picture. The New Testament has a verse for it. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. In the priority list of heaven in the kingdom, your needs take a second place. Is that making sense? Come on, help me. The only way we can progress as a church, the only way you can progress as a believer is sacrifice. There is no way around it. We're going to look at another verse and it's in Romans 12. Let's have the verse up. It says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, sisters included as well, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Offer your bodies, offer your lives as living sacrifice. And that is such a, it's a crazy picture because there there has never been a willing sacrifice apart from Jesus Christ. Amen? You you have to drag the sheep and they'll be like, and you have to drag them, you pin them down, you tie them and you sacrifice them. I don't think Isaac was a willing sacrifice. I don't think Isaac was like, yes, Abraham, yes, father, I will lie on this altar. Kill me now. I don't think he was willing. I think it was, it was a hard thing. Imagine being a father in that scenario, dragging your son, your scared, unwilling son, and laying down on the altar. Can you imagine the conversation that Abraham and Isaac had after the whole ordeal? No, Isaac didn't die, just in case you, you didn't know. No, God... God provided a sacrifice instead. But imagine the conversation that Abraham and Isaac had after the whole ordeal, like as Abraham was untying Isaac from the altar. Isaac looked at Abraham and was like, so, what's up? <laughs> it's, it's hard conversation, right? But the Bible, he exalts us, Paul exalts us to be living sacrifices, to be willing sacrifices. I think there's two ways of looking at, the, at this verse, you know. Um, whenever a sacrifice is placed on the altar, fire always falls on it. All through the Bible, whenever a sacrifice is laid before God, the fire of God comes down upon the altar and consumes it. And I think it's, it's, it's a picture of uh, the, 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 the believers who were in that upper room on the day of Pentecost. They came as living sacrifices. They came and offered their lives to be consumed by the Lord. They offered their lives as, as vessels for His ministries, as vessels for the kingdom of God. And the fire of God came upon every individual in the form of a tongue of fire. They laid their lives as a sacrifice on the altar and the fire of God came down upon them. But I think the, the other way we can look at that verse is this. We are called to live sacrificially. We are called to have a sacrificial lifestyle. We have often put sacrifices as this big uh, uh, acts, you know, these big uh, uh, gestures, and we're like, I've sacrificed 10 years ago and I'm done with it. You know, I've, I've did this thing and it was really hard 10 years ago and I'm done with it. I've, I've paid my dues. Time and again, you know, and, and I've, I've done all these things and I don't have to, to do it anymore. It's, it's, I've sacrificed, I've done enough. But how many of you know that sacrifice is meant to be uncomfortable? It's meant to cost you something. Amen? And the nature of sacrifice is that yesterday's sacrifice becomes today's convenience. becomes easy today. When I first got saved, okay, I was part of a vibrant youth ministry. People were jumping. Uh, I was not obese. I was more fruitful than most. And, uh, and, 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 you know, the thing about this youth ministry is that they were really into that jumpy thing, you know. And, and they were jumping and they were having a ball of a time. And I was a really self-conscious little boy. Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to jump. Because when you jump, all the jiggly parts jump along with you. And so I was like, oh, you know, not too sure about this jumping thing, you know. But uh, I saw my friends, they were all jumping before the Lord and uh, just having a ball of time. And, and, 
and really going after the Lord, you know, and I was like, I want that, you know, I, I want that, but, you know, it's super hard, and, uh, and so, you know, I went in and I started with the tiptoe thing, you know, the tiptoe thing, you know, it's like, it looks as though you're jumping, but you're clearly not, and, and then afterwards, it, it just went higher and higher and higher, and then, and then it became easier over time, it became easier over time, right? And so at that moment, it was a sacrifice, it was hard. It was something that, that cost me. I know it's a really simplistic way of being sacrificed, but humor me. And so it was, it was a really hard thing, right? I was a self-conscious little boy. I didn't want to do this. It was hard. But over time, it became easy. At this point, it was a sacrifice. At this point, it was easy. When it's become easy and it no longer uh, has that the element of discomfort, the element of cost, it's no longer a sacrifice. Yesterday's sacrifice becomes today's convenience. Sacrifice in and of itself is progressive in nature. To live sacrificially means that you're always constantly looking to give more. It doesn't stop. Then the question is, to what end, Andre? To what end do we sacrifice? Till we look like Jesus. The goal of Christianity is Christ-likeness. It's until we can look into the mirror and see the reflection of Christ in that mirror. It's until we are transformed into His image from glory to glory. That's the goal of sacrifice, ladies and gentlemen. Am I making sense to you? It's not supposed to be a ritualistic practice. It's supposed to cost you something. It's supposed to be difficult, painful to some extent. Sacrifice is a challenge. It's a challenge because Yesterday's sacrifice is today's convenience. Amen? The most iconic story of sacrifice would be Mary's sacrifice, right? Mary, I'm talking about Mary who, who broke that alabaster jar. You know, that, that, that jar who, which contained perfume that cost a year in wages. Ridiculous, senseless sacrifice. She broke it and, and anointed the feet of Jesus and the, the disciples were all, they were all riled up because they were like, you could have sold that and, and, and do so much more with that. You could have done so much more with that money. You could have given to the poor. You could have funded several initiatives. You could have funded people to go on missions. But instead, you broke it all and you anointed the feet of Jesus. You see, when we read that passage, you know, most of us, you know, we have the privilege of knowing what Jesus was going to do in the cross, Right? We really flip to the end and we know like, oh yeah, Jesus is going to do that magnificent act on the cross. And we're like, it makes sense to break that jar on Jesus' feet. Completely makes sense. But we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. If you were a disciple on that day, Jesus is alive, you're sitting at the table, that will be a senseless sacrifice. It doesn't make sense. You could have, do, you could have done so much more with the money. So, the, the question I have when I read that story is, what possessed Mary to some extent? What, what was her experience that would explain that extravagance to which she poured out on Jesus? What did she go through? What happened to Mary? What was that something about Mary that would, that would lead her to giving up a year's wages for a moment? What happened? I think we find our answer in John chapter 12. Can we have that up on the screen? John chapter 12. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. I don't know whether you can pull that connection, but this Lazarus who was raised from the dead, if you read that account in John chapter 11, you will read about his sister Mary, who was mourning for his death, who, who was at a point of hopelessness, and then the Messiah came in on day four. On day four, you know, you, you have to understand the Jewish custom. The Jewish custom is this. You know, their belief is that, that the soul of a, of a person will reside in the body for up to three days. And there was a possibility of resurrection up to the third day. But on day four, all hope is gone. Gone case. No more chance. 
But then Jesus came on the fourth day to demonstrate that nothing is impossible with God. And then Jesus came in and raised Lazarus from the dead and fulfilled the hope of Mary. Mary had an experience and that led to her extravagance. My question to you this morning is that have you had an experience with the goodness of God? Have you had God do something in your life that, that fulfilled the hope of your heart? Have you had God bring about breakthrough in your life and has that resulted in some form of extravagance in your giving, in your worship, in your sacrifice? Your experience must always lead to extravagance. Now making sense to you this morning. The question I have for you this morning, question number one is this. Do I live, live a life of convenience or do I sacrifice? First question, to ponder, to reflect, to measure your life on. I'm going to look at the next passage of Scripture. That's in Second Chronicles chapter 14. Just to preface and just to give you a bit of context on what is happening, I'm going to share from three different passages and it's going to lead to three different topics and three different questions. So you get a three-in-one kind of deal today. Good deal, man. It's like one of those like, cartridges you put in and there's like 56 games inside. That's what you're getting today, man. Good deal, good deal. Second Chronicles chapter 14, it says this, Asa. Now Asa, if you didn't know who Asa is, Asa is the great-grandson of Solomon. Okay, He's a king of Judah. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, wow, and cut down the Asherah posts. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace. Under him, he built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. We're going to stop there. Okay, the last time I, I spoke about Solomon, I, I, I did this graph thing where I documented almost the descent of Solomon. Solomon made several compromises in his life. And one of them was he, he took wives from different nations. And because he took wives from different nations, he uh, in, in some way opened the doors to these foreign gods, these foreign deities, these pagan idols to come into God's city. And, and it was said that at the end of Solomon's reign, all these pagan idols, all these foreign deities, they, their statues, their altars was all over the place. He desanctified God's city in it, during his reign. And so, and so the, 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 the entire nation was, was going through a decline up to Asa. And so Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. See, this is it's tremendous. He did it all. He removed the altars, the high places, smashed the stones, cut down the poles, and, and he, he charged the entire nation to obey the commandments and the works of the Lord. And this was a man who was in a good place. Everybody say good place. Good place. He was doing everything right. It's all going good. Hunky-dory. And, and the, the nation was beginning to, to flourish. It was beginning to to uh, 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 come into a, a time of peace. Everything was going good. Much like you and me. Most of us today, we, we, we are in a pretty good place, yeah? Most of us, you know, God is good. Things are going well in life. Um, family is great. Career can be better, but it's still good. I have a job. I'm earning uh, enough money. And, and, and life is great. But watch what Asa did. So Asa, okay, he did everything that was right. Kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. The next verse says this. It says, the next slide, it says, No one was at war with him during those years. He had complete peace for the Lord had given him rest. And then he said this, Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought Him and He has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now I want you to follow me this morning. This is a kingdom at peace. This is a kingdom without war. This is a kingdom 
with every foreign idol, deity, pagan god torn down. This is a kingdom that's prospering. Yet Asa made the decision to build walls, to fortify the city, to protect it. Why? Because Asa valued the city, the kingdom. Thus, he built walls to protect it. Walls are for defenses, yes. But walls are to protect what you deem as valuable. And he built these structures to protect that to which was his treasure, was something he greatly valued. And my question to you this morning is that, are there walls, are there structures in your life that communicates value to that which you deem as the great treasure, the great pearl to which we, we have so sought after, the presence of God, our relationship, our communion with God? If that is something that is of value to you, then what structures do you have in place to protect that which you deem as valuable? I know how much you have value for something by examining your life and seeing what structures you have placed for that thing. When I was dating Amy long distance, you know, we did three years. Hallelujah. And uh, <laughs> we did three years and, and you know, it was, it was not smooth sailing. You know, I'm a pleasant person most of the time, but I'm pretty tough nut. And so uh, we, we, were, we were talking, we were like, you know, we, we need some structure. We need some things in place to, to protect our relationship, to protect this thing to which we both say it's valuable to us. It's something that, that means a lot to us. And so one of the things we did was every Friday morning from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., I would block out that, that, that part on my calendar. And I blocked it out for three years. And every, mo- every Friday morning for two hours, we'll Skype and we'll talk for two hours. And that was protected Amy time. That was protected Andre time. And we did that. We had that in place. Why? Because by me doing so, I'm essentially communicating to her that you are valuable. And I'm going to put these things, these structures in place to protect our relationship, to protect our intimacy. So the question for for us as the church, for us who profess we love Jesus, for us who profess we value the things of God, is what do you have in place in your life that communicates that value? What do you have in place? Structures is simply this. Your beliefs, your values, your principles translated into a practical commitment. What do you have in place? If you don't, it's time to have some structure in your life. I, I have this friend, he is a phenomenal person. When I grow up, I want to be like him. And he, 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 he has this thing where he, he, ha- he calls it, I have a, he calls it dating, uh, he has a date with Jesus. And so we would be out in, in, in the movie theaters, and we'd be watching a movie, we'd be out having dinner, and, and all of a sudden at 10 p.m., he'll just stand up, and he's like, I got to go. I'm like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to go back home. I have a date with Jesus. And he's been doing that for years. At, at a specific time, he meets with the Lord and is non-negotiable. No matter where he is, if he's outside, he'll go to a toilet, a bathroom. He'll sit in the cubicle and spend time with Jesus. Is it ridiculous? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's up to your, your, your interpretation. <laughs> to me, it was. I was like, you're working on a movie? You pay good money for it? But anyways... Uh, but he has, that, he has that structure in his life. He has that thing that, that communicates value for the presence of God. And because of that, the Lord trusts him. He trusts him. The measure of, of trust to which I'll give a person is the measure to which I see the person commit, committed to me. Trust only comes by commitment. You want the Lord to trust you with riches. You want the Lord to trust you with influence. Trust you with favor, with anointing. How committed are you to Him? Because He will not favor you beyond a measure to which you can handle. Commitment is an extension of character. Am I making sense? One of my heroes, uh, I, I mean, not everyone's hero, but how many of you know Benny Hinn? Benny Hinn, yeah? 
Benny Hinn is, is this amazing healing evangelist. Amazing. You know, I, I've been, into, been in some of his meetings and, and he would, he would uh, in his meetings, people with cancers would be completely healed, completely restored. People would be getting out of wheelchairs. It's crazy. You know, I've been in those meetings and, and it, it, he, he doesn't even pray for any of them. It's, it's because uh, of the, the presence of God which he has stewarded in his life in such a measure that when he comes into a room, the Holy Spirit comes in such a great way that people just get healed all over the place. And you know, we, we can get really impressed by that whole thing without really looking and recognizing the sacrifices to which he's made in his life. You know, I've, I've heard, uh, I, 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 have a, a, I know a guy who had dinner with Benny once and, and they were eating uh, in a really, really fancy restaurant and Benny uh, loves his, his steak and so he was, he was cutting on his steak, he was about to enjoy that steak and all of a sudden as he's cutting, he drops his fork and knife and then he just stands up and he says, I feel the Holy Spirit upon me, I have to go. And he just makes his own way back to his hotel room and just spends time with God. Structure. Commitment. His value for the presence and the Holy Spirit translated into a practical commitment. And a commitment was, whenever the Spirit of God comes upon me, I will give Him my attention and not ignore Him. So the question I have for you this morning, and I think we are all here because we profess value on God, value, on this thing we, we call the Christian faith, value in the church. My question to you is this. Is there any structure in my life that communicates my value for God? Is there anything in place? Is there any practical commitment that you have devoted yourself to that communicates your value for the Lord? It's question two. In the a year of review. Am I making sense to you this morning? Last passage of scripture. Thanks for following me. And uh, we're going to look at First Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. And this is uh, we're talking about Saul now. You know, we have done David and now we're going to Saul. And uh, I want you to follow this story, okay? Samuel said to Saul. Samuel being the prophet said to Saul the king, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Catch that. Totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them, put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Next verse. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is the bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? So Saul... Okay, he went out and he, he obeyed that instruction from Samuel the prophet. And he went and he, he waged war against the Amalekites. And so he, he won that battle. But you see, there was a, another uh, uh, side to that instruction that was given from the prophet Samuel. It says this, it says, Go and destroy the Amalekites and destroy everything. Don't take the cattle, don't take a single ounce of gold, take nothing. And see, if you're a, a king in that day when you wage war and you have um, uh, won the battle, you would partake in an exercise called plundering. And that means you will take all that is valuable to build your kingdom, to, to almost finance your military, to, to pr- make uh, preparations to repair. Samuel's instruction to Saul was, kill them all, take nothing. And so, Samuel said, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul then answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. And so Samuel tried, uh, Saul tried to justify him taking the cattle. He was like, oh, I've taken the best. I've taken the, 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 the amazing, the buff Sheeps and, I, and I'm going to bring them, I'm going to sacrifice unto the Lord. He, he's trying to justify what he's doing. And so the next verse, 
This is what Samuel said to Saul. This is what Samuel said to Saul. Okay. So Samuel said this. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion, disobedience, is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. Now I want you to follow me. We are mistaken when we think that big acts of sacrifice can, can compensate for small disobediences. The indictment against Saul was that he thought that big sacrifices could compensate for a life of disobedience. Samuel said this to Saul. He said, obedience is far greater, in, in some translations, far reaching than sacrifice. No, most of us today can, can point to certain sacrifices we've made. No, I've done these things. No, I'm on the worship team. I, I come at 7 in the morning. I sacrifice. I wake up early. Most of the church is still sleeping. I'm up at 7 in the morning. I'm on the teams. Sacrifice. Amazing. But my question is, what were you watching at 2 in the morning last night? We cannot have an idea of the kingdom of God as this, that it functions like a scale. You know, all I have to do is for my good to outweigh my bad and I'm in a good position, I'm in good standing. It doesn't work that way. A single iota of sin, a single morsel of sin can derail your entire walk. It can cost you eternity. When the Bible defines sin, it does not define sin as moral failing. It defines sin as disobedience. I know you've made sacrifices. I've known, I know you, you give these things unto the Lord. I know you pay your tithe. I know you come to church at 10 in the morning. I know it costs some of you a lot. But my question is, have you done well in obeying God? Have you done well in, in, in obedience? Have you done well in staying faithful and true to the things, even the things unseen? Am I making sense? In Matthew 23, you know, Jesus rebukes the, the Pharisees. Says to, he says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He's saying this to the Pharisees. He said, you pay your tithe. You do all the things that, that you were supposed to do, but you have neglected the rest of it, you neglected the rest of my word. Justice, mercy, doing good. My question to you this morning, church, is that have you done well in obeying everything, all that which he said and has commanded us to do? You pay your tithe, yes, but have you been faithful in reaching the loss? You reach the loss, yes, but have you been faithful in paying your tithe? Obedience is far greater, far reaching than sacrifice. We must be hearers and doers of the word. The Greek word for hearing loosely translates to attentive compliance. It's hearing with an intent to obey. Those who hear must do. Bible talks about a group of people who come to Jesus and, and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things in your name? Didn't I, I cast out demons? Didn't I preach the gospel? But then Jesus said to this man, depart from me for I never knew you. And then the Bible goes on to say that, that those who have heard and have done the things of the Lord, they built their house on a solid foundation. But those who have heard and have not done the things of the Lord, they built their house on shaky foundation, on sand. I believe sometimes God in His mercy withholds His voice from you because He does not want you to experience the judgment of not doing that which He's commanded you to do. When we hear, there is a responsibility to obey. There is a responsibility to do. And 
sometimes I feel that God in His mercy and His love for you and me will withhold His voice and risk you perceiving Him to be a silent God just so you would not have to experience judgment for not obeying. If today you feel like the Lord is not speaking in your life, my encouragement to you is go back and trace back what is the last thing He said to you? What is the last thing He, he commanded you to do? And have you been faithful in doing that? Am I making sense? My favorite story of obedience well, uh, comes from a man named Bobby Conn. And Bobby is this hilarious prophet. He's a big Texan and a funny guy. And uh, once he was in a, a, a prophetic conference, and this was like many people, a lot of renowned prophets were there, and uh, it was a scary uh, place, you know. And so Bobby was standing in the front row in the middle of worship, and, uh, and, he, and all of a sudden the Lord speaks to him and said, Bobby, I want you to go up on stage. And uh, I want you to nibble on the ear of the worship leader. And this was respected prophet in a prophetic conference. And he was going to be speaking. And he was like, no, Lord, I cannot nibble another man's ear. And uh, you see, I, I, yeah, I have no idea whether I can do that. You know, if you find me nibbling on your ear one day, forgive me. And so, and so Bobby like wrestled and was like, ah, I don't want to do it. And and you know, in the end, he caved because he had such a, a love for the voice of God, such a love for the Lord, and he had built up such a history with the Lord. And he just obeyed, and he went ahead, and he got up on stage, and uh, as the worship leader was singing his song, and he just pulled the, the worship leader close, and he began to he began nibble on the guy's ear. Yeah, you know, that's special. And so... And so he was done, and then the worship leader turned to him and looks at him all funny, but, and, and then he just went back down and just sat in his seat, and, and, and it was done. And he, he just felt horrible the whole time. He was like, oh my gosh, I just nibbled another man's ear. They're going to think I'm homosexual. Uh, they're going to think I'm... And, and, and he, was, he was just like, you know, he was, he was just going through all these like, like different feelings and emotions. But at the end of the service, the worship leader came up to him and said, you have no idea what you did. See, the worship leader was completely deaf in his left ear. Completely deaf. Bobby went up and nibbled on his left ear. And as he did that, his hearing came back. His ear popped open and he was instantly healed. How many of you have hearing problems? <laughs> Obedience is far greater than sacrifice. Sometimes a simple act of obedience can unleash, can unleash, can, can bring about the realities of heaven. Amen? The funny thing is this. Hell obeyed Jesus. Demons obeyed Jesus. Diseases obeyed Jesus. Winds obeyed Jesus. But the only people that wouldn't obey Him were his followers. So my last question for you is this. It's up on the screen already. Am I prompt and faithful in obeying God? Or do I try and make up for it by giving more sacrifices? Do I try and make up for it by giving more money? It's so funny, you know, like whenever I have a quarrel or a disagreement with Amy, I buy her something new. So you see Amy... Decked out in Gucci, Gucci, Prada, Prada, you know that Andre messed up real good. <laughs> but it's true, right? You know, we're like, oh, I messed up before a lot. I'm just going to give extra $10 today, you know. Everything that settles it. But disobedience is sin. And sin will cost you an eternity with it. It's not worth the risk. Amen. And so the three questions I want to recap with you this morning is question number one. Do I live a life of convenience or sacrifice? Question number two. Is there any structure in my life that communicates my value for God? And question number three. Am I prompt and faithful in obeying God? And this is, after all, a year in review, a time of reflection. And so what I'm going to get you to do now is totally different from how we've end the service usually, but I want you to get a notepad out, pen, paper, uh, get your phones out, 
and I'm just going to have uh, the keyboardists on stage, and I, I want you to, to write down these three questions, okay? Just to recap, it's, do I live a life of convenience, or do I sacrifice? Question number two is, that, is there any structure in my life that communicates my value for God? And question number three is, am I prompt and faithful in obeying God? I want you to write these three questions down. And if you will, I want you to begin to go to the Lord in your own way with these questions. And my hope with these three questions is that it will chart a New Year's resolution for you. And, and, and it will chart a vision for what your relationship with God could possibly look like in the coming New Year. Friends, I want to say that there's a difference between guilt and conviction. There's a difference between guilt and conviction. Conviction comes by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says this, that He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. When He brings about a conviction in your heart, it is always accompanied by His power, by His grace, to do differently, to live on a higher plane. My hope is that these questions don't bring about guilt or shame in any manner. That's not the heart of the Lord. His heart is to empower you with His grace to live a higher standard. But can I also say to you this morning that there's a difference between being at peace and ignorance. Being at peace means this, that, that the matter to which has caused discomfort is resolved. But ignorance is simply putting the matter aside. Sometimes we come into a church environment and we hear messages like this. And it, 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 it ruffles some feathers. It makes us feel discomfort for, for a bit. But then we leave the room and all of a sudden, we're like, okay, I don't feel it anymore. Can I put it to you that the matter is not resolved? You're ignoring it. I don't, I don't care what has been said, but in the kingdom of God, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is dangerous. It will cost you everything. And so to, today is an opportunity to be at peace with God. If there's anything you need to repent of, do that in your own way. But can I encourage you, everyone, with your eyes closed, with your head bowed, I want you to begin to go to the Lord in your own way. And begin to process these questions with Him. Do a reflection of your life. Begin to reevaluate your walk with the Lord.